0: hello good morning good afternoon i am in a good mood because spring is kind of sort of on its way and today i get to interview a very special guest on the metropolitan culture corner today i've got this kind of heavenly light going on here through my window we usually do these interviews in the late afternoon or evening but this month our special guest is extremely busy and this was the time she had so Dramatic lighting aside, thank you for joining us once again, and sit back, relax, get ready to get to know interior designer, visual artist, and all-around dynamo, Kelly Ellis. Originally from California, Kelly grew up drawing on every available surface, including the walls of her parents' apartment. These days, she is a painter, a licensed artist with Left Bank Art, and a world-renowned interior designer. In fact, her work is so popular that she has become an incredibly familiar face on television over the past 20 years, on stations that our US expats know and love, such as HDTV, Bravo, TLC, The Design Network, as well as internationally on Hulu, Apple TV, and Rakuten TV. In her design programs, you can see her working with everyone from celebrities to to everyday people who are just looking to do something interesting with the spaces that they inhabit. Nearly a decade ago, Kelly created the Design Psychology Coaching Program as a follow-up to her best-selling book titled, Do I Look Skinny in This House? <laughs> I love that name. And since then, you are likely to have heard her business and design psychology advice all over the radio and on the stage as a regular keynote speaker and panelist at international design conferences. In an effort to bring education to all designers around the world, Kelly co-founded the Interior Design Camp and Design Campus, which is the world's leading interior design conference. As if that were not an impressive enough resume, Kelly is also the VP of Global Industry Relations for Ronati, a technology platform dedicated to the success of art and antique dealers worldwide. Combining her love of antiques with modern technology to connect antique dealers to people all over the world.
1: For most of us who have gone down the path of being creative, some people you've got 12 jobs. If one of them speaks to your heart, you're living life. That is what life is about, you know. If you hit it big doing the thing that you love, then you just, it's cherry on top.
0: Hi, Kelly. Welcome, and thank you for talking with me today. I know that you're super busy, so we will just get to it, okay? First, why interior design? You've spoken a lot about how important it is for people to feel good in the spaces that they live in, that they work in, but there's a big leap between feeling that that's important and deciding to dedicate your life to it. So what drew you to that? I think it started really early. You remember back in the day when there was a lot of homes being
1: built up around you and you had the model homes, the show homes, right? My mom just loved to go through there. And I remember being so fascinated, being an only child, I guess, and being around adults all the time. I was just gravitated towards listening to adult conversations. And I distinctly remember being young and listening to other people touring around a model home and listening to one person say, I love it. And the other person say, I don't like it. My first question, even as a child would be, why, why, why don't you like it? And why do you love it? From that point forward, I was fascinated with design things in a space that would create a reaction from one person to another person, to another person, to another person. Because it's pretty amazing, right? You can tell how people surround themselves with certain things because it triggers meanings, it triggers feelings, it triggers emotion. And so that for me was all about the design work. And I did that even though I went to law school. I mean, I took the most ridiculous path ever to design, but I'd always done it. I think it was just wanting to create spaces for people that made them feel a certain way. It's almost addictive when you see somebody who's so happy about what you created for them, because it's for
0: them. They're in tears and you're in tears, and you're like, this feels good, this feels nice. How do you find a balance between your client's needs or their desires and your own vision? And Mm -hmm. what's the difference between designing for an individual client versus for a hospitality group, for example? Well,
1: they are definitely different. I speak a lot about hospitality and design, mostly now. I've kind of switched from residential to hospitality. With the vision part of it, I think a really, really good designer can do both. And most of them are really excellent at doing this. They'll infuse a little bit of their own style because that's why you choose a certain designer, right? There's hundreds of thousands of designers and you pick one like you pick a makeup artist you pick one like you pick a stylist you're going to pick somebody who resonates with you hopefully in the end you've chosen somebody who is going to be able to execute what you want what's going to make you feel good with their lens And so that's the balance. You don't go in and go, oh, we're gonna do this. And they're they're like, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. (laughs) This is not what I want. You have to be just as comfortable with the client as they are with you. And it's almost like that interview process or that first consultation is for both of you to make sure that it's a good marriage, so to speak, because it does take a long time. You know, Sometimes this process can be a year, sometimes it's six months, depending on how big project is. And then as far as hospitality goes, that's a mass group. Usually you are designing towards an experience and a brand. So depending on what that hotel's brand statement is, mission statement is, what they're trying to impart, then you create the rooms and the public spaces to reflect that. So it's a really different process.
0: It sounds like the first is more of a personal relationship almost, like painting somebody's portrait, kind of. And the other one is a much more of a branding exercise, although, of course, still a creative process, no?
1: Yes, very much so. Yeah, it's important that you understand that when doing hospitality, and that's largely what I speak about to design groups. The importance of that, that you have to understand it's not about you and your stamp in that space. It's almost always about the brand and the mission for that group or the hotel group.
0: Because when you're talking about putting your stamp on the work or working in this hospitality context as a public speaker in these conferences and things, you talk a lot about design psychology, right? Or design therapy, which yes. sounds self-explanatory, but I'm sure there's more to it. You know, before you used to have to explain it and really go in pretty in depth
1: to get people to understand or feel what I'm talking about. After the pandemic, I don't need to do that anymore. We spent so much time in our spaces. We spent so much time in the same spaces. You knew within a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, How you felt in that space and the importance of surrounding yourself with things that make you feel a certain way, either comfortable, relaxed, energized, whatever that space needs to do. It was very easy for me to explain, (laughs) very easy to impart that by color, by choice of materials, by choice of fabric, by lighting, which is massively important. I call them the three Fs, function, flow, and feel. You have to have all three or you won't use a space. There's so much to design psychology, environmental design that plays into hospitality, residential, like any space that we create. It can even be a waiting room of an office, you know? There is things that you should do and things you definitely should not do. Like, for example, there's certain colors that are energy. Like, there's a reason that orange and red and yellow is used for fast food restaurants. They want to get you in and out, right? Red is energy. You're not going to paint your dining room red if you want to have a nice dinner party for a really long time. It doesn't create comfort, it creates intrigue. You can layer it, you can tone it down. If somebody said, no, I love reds. I'm like, okay, let's make it a dark burgundy red. Let's go deep rose, so that I can pull away from the energy factor because people don't wanna sit in that. It actually doesn't make you feel comfortable. If you wanna create, we've just known from studies that blues and greens and teals are the most creative colors. They're the best colors to paint your offices and spaces where you need to be creative. It is what it is. There have even been studies where they've painted prisons pink to see the effect on the men within that space. So it's not made up, (laughs) it's real. And then how we use textiles and how you use lighting, whether it's task or mood or environmental or focus. You know when you walk into a fantastic space, um, whether it be a nightclub or a restaurant or a hotel, you know when it feels right. When the lighting feels good, you get an instant mood and you're transformed That is design psychology.
0: If you speak to a designer, it's so clear, coming from the mouth of someone who knows, right? Do you feel like most people are aware of how their environments affect them, or your job is just to make it happen whether people notice it or not?
1: I think it's important to share as you go. Most designers do, but to answer your question, I think, again, pre-pandemic, people were not aware. But now that we've been in our homes and in our spaces, because we had to be, they were really quickly aware of the wall color, the things that they need to change, the way that their furniture functions or didn't function. The way that, you know, the rooms or spaces worked or really didn't work at all. Or we realize how much we ask of a space, right? Because we have multiple functions for our rooms. You know, we're not living in 12 bedroom houses. We're living in apartments in a city and our spaces have multiple functions. And so if the rooms aren't doing what you need then they're not functioning. And then we have to readjust that. Interior design has boomed. DIY, if you're doing it yourself, or if you're hiring somebody, paint sales skyrocketed. It's the number one question. What do I paint my wall color? You know, I mean, everybody, that's what they want to know. They want quick changes, things to inspire them. So it's not going away. I think people really learned.
0: It's really key to how you feel in a space and how you use a space to design it well. Speaking of designing and making your space what it needs to be, the traditional concept of interior design is to do what you said. You meet your client, you go to their house, you see the space, but even though you're based in Barcelona, these days you also continue to work long distance with a lot of clients, for example, in Los Angeles. How does that even work? I mean, I know that everybody does everything via Zoom, obviously, but how do you design for a space if you're not in it physically?
1: I started my career on television. The show was called Clean Sweep, and I had to design two rooms in two days. Yeah, it was one of those crazy shows. And it was myself and the hunky carpenter and the organizer, and we would go in and just tear apart two rooms and I would do them while they were doing the scenes and everything. I never got to see these spaces before I went to film in them. First day of filming was the first time I ever walked through the space. So I learned how to design from shooting the room taking me on a tour, our phones, our WhatsApp videos or FaceTime videos or whatever you use to communicate with your family and friends. Really, truly, I can get the feel of a space or a home based on video or being with you digitally, which again, so many people were like, oh, that's not gonna work. But because of the last few years, now we know it can work. If I have a space plan and I've got a video and you walk me through, I can totally help you. It really became that easy, but
0: I've been doing it for a long time. You mentioned the television shows, and that was one thing I wanted to ask you, that you have had your own design shows and specials yeah. on TV. So what people see in the final television program is not the whole process. How does the context of TV change the way you work, or, or does it, except for the part where it's gotta be fast?
1: Um, it does. What's changed in television, which is really nice, is that you're actually getting true budgets and you're getting true numbers, because people would get really disheartened you know, when they would watch a show and watch an entire transformation at the end and go, we only spent $20,000. And they're like, no, you did it. You just remodeled this whole entire kitchen. How did you do that? And so I think things have changed a little bit in that there's a more realistic budgets have been attached to the shows, which is nice. There are realistic timelines. You know, when you have a 100 people behind the scenes working, of course you can finish this job in two days, right? But... <laughs> It's not realistic like on some of the HGTV shows that I've filmed. We would show you the time lapse that we would say, okay, it's been five weeks. You need to have that reality. Otherwise, it's not fun. The days of me designing on TV, those are over, but I do have a new show coming out. So I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm excited. In the States and I get to host, which is really what I love doing. So I get to speak to the builders and designers and the homeowners and talk about why they made the choices that they made, which always fascinates me. I'm back to a little bit of the design psychology part of it and understanding the whys of creating some really incredible spaces. So it's fun. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. I get a lot of people that will send me photos, ask questions. I actually love it. I almost got a teaching credential because I really do like sharing information. And I speak occasionally at High Point University, another university in the States to the design students and they all will write me and
0: I love talking to them. They have questions. I really enjoy it. Is there a particular question or that you get all the time that that's just the question they always ask you all the time from students or from beginning designers or advice? you give to someone who's first starting out? The designers really are learning about
1: how to market themselves. Mm. That's a big, big, big question, right? Because of Instagram, it's massive. Really, what I can't impart to younger students, I can't say it enough, is that you are a brand right now. Even though you don't think it, you are. So please be very, very, very careful about what you post, about what you say, about what you do. Every post, every picture of friends and girlfriends and weekends out all impact everything that you do. You know, and obviously it depends on what you want to do and who you're targeting as your audience. But everyone now is a brand and they have the ability to use these tools either for good or bad. And understanding that from the beginning is massive. And some of these students really have it nailed. They're incredible. They really have
0: to help them along that way. You know, it's important. Speaking of university students, when you were in college, from what I understand, your first job was as a photographer taking glamour shots. So right. You came from the world of drawing and and did photography. I mean, how have those things impacted what you do as a designer? You know, it hasn't impacted my designs, but it does impact the art that I create. I'm a
1: licensed artist with a company in California. For Americans, they will know Z Gallery. So my art is available on Z Gallery and I create art for this company that is mostly produced for hospitality. So every six months I come out with a new collection. A lot of the early pieces or collections are inspired by photography, glamour photography. Those of us of a certain age remember the headshot places in the mall where you would go because we didn't have phones. We couldn't do a selfie. We had to go get glammed up, dolled up with the hair and the makeup. And it was a three hour deal and everybody went to go do it. And I was a photographer for those places. And I really enjoy the over the top photography. So the first couple of collections that I have are based in photography. And even now I will go around the city. This place is incredible for inspiration with the architecture and even the ironwork and little details that are so different that I love to take pictures of. And then I form them into digital assets and make that part
0: of my collections. It's an interesting approach to visual art because some people think, no, you're either a painter or you're a designer or you do digital or you do, so your visual art is a combination of all kinds of things. It is. How did you decide to start making that part of your job as opposed to just a hobby? Because you're already a successful designer and television personality.
1: You know what, it fell into my lap. Well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an artist. I mean, that was just it. And being the only child of a judge, It was, that was not in the cards. He was really like, you can do that when you retire. (laughs) You can do that as a hobby, you know? I wanted to be an artist. So fast forward, I had the opportunity to design a very, very, very large home for the man who owns the art company. And I never pitched him. I just was flattered to even do this home from the ground up. It was a two-year project, it was incredible. And became very close with him and one day, The builder came to me and he goes, we have to redo this whole front. This is not gonna work the way the drawings are. What are we gonna do on site? So I start sketching and I'm sketching the house and the owner comes up and he goes, when are you gonna pitch me to do art? I mean, that was it. I was so excited, I'll never forget that day ever. And I was like, really? I just didn't want to be a jerk. Like I was so happy to have the job designing your home, let alone be an artist as one of the licensed artists for his company from that day forward. It's just been a match made in heaven and such an honor for me to even do it. That's
0: one of the things that speaks to my soul. It's also a really amazing story, not only because of course it's amazing to hear of any artists getting to do what they love and what really feeds them, but most people, maybe not most, I don't wanna exaggerate, but a lot of people in your position would have absolutely found a way to pitch that at some point. kind of amazing that you were just focused on, no, I'm here to do this one thing and things worked out the way they should anyway.
1: I am all for taking an initiative and going for it, but sometimes you gotta read the room too. And he's not a pushover. He would see right through that. I was just delighted to be designing his home. For me then to go, hey, by the way, I just thought that would be so tacky. And I think that's important. It's an important lesson, right? That there is a time and a place for some things. Absolutely, go for your goals, shoot for the moon. Maybe at the end of the project, I would have pitched him in a normal way. When we finished, I didn't expect it to happen the way it happened, but I'm sure I would have had the conversation at some point because when you get in front of somebody that you know is somebody that is influential to you or will be able to influence your life in one way or another, it seems silly not to say something, (laughs) but I didn't want it to be in the tacky way, you know? So there's something to be said for editing.
0: Yes. But with the visual art side or the design side of what you do, or the business side, all of that is so interconnected. And I think a lot of creative people find it difficult to kind of combine the art with the business. Is that something that comes naturally to you or were there people in your life that inspired you to understand how to fit those together? You know, I think the marketing
1: part is innate for me, which is kind of the business side. Usually you're like a left brain, right brain, I'm creative or I'm a business head. And being able to put a foot in each is really important. I. I 100% think that every school, at even high school level, should have business classes. Because again, if you're putting yourself out there on Instagram, because you're creative, you've got an Etsy account, hey, you're a business now. And you need to learn how to market yourself and how to do the business side of your creativity. Like if you want to monetize your creativity, you need to learn the business part. It can be not fun. (laughs) Years ago, 10 years ago, I started something called Design Camp with a colleague and she and I set out to do just this was to educate interior designers about the stuff that's not fun. The business side of everything and bring in inspiration for them, bring in designers that would help them create a collaboration environment and it was really successful and wonderful and and enjoyed doing that because I think most people who are creative who can't figure out how to monetize, many creatives are like, I don't do this for the money. Yes, but you still have bills to pay. So I think learning that is important if it's not already innate. For me, it was innate, but only because, I think because of my dad, I'm sure because of my dad. I was just surrounded by business and law and the career and very much that side of my brain. The marketing part was the flashy fun part of business. For me, that was the creative part of business is marketing. When people are like, oh, marketing, that's too businessy. I'm like, it really isn't, that's the flashy fun part. So it's just a baby step into
0: business, but it's, it's really important. I feel like every question I'm about to ask you, you give me the perfect segue because I was going to ask you about Ronati, which works specifically with antiques. That sounds like a pretty special platform. Could you explain why what they do is important?
1: Yes. You know, it's something that I love doing. A friend started the business. She just said, I would love your help in meeting and talking to dealers worldwide. And this is what we're creating. And honestly, it's so amazing to be involved with people who have such a passion for antiques and vintage and one of a kind. That's a labor of love. Some of these people who haven't been online, they don't sell online, but they are filling up their vans every weekend, going to sell their beautiful things that they've found. The CEO, she's a good friend of mine. She's been in the tech space for a very long time. And she said, there's a need here for all of these gorgeous pieces to be found. But in the easiest way possible, the dealer is being completely underserved online. But again, over the last few years, they realize that they need to do it. Now I've been able to meet some of the most incredible people, so interesting with their stories and why they do what they do. It's so much fun to travel. I'll be in Milan. I get to travel to the UK, interview the dealers, see what they're doing, showcase some of the pieces that they have. And of course they can talk on and on about the piece and where they found it, the story behind it. And they love it and you can see that passion and I I get a kick out of it. It's really fun. Rooms that are well-designed always have something that's antique or vintage in them. It adds a
0: depth to design that is just unbeatable thank you very much kelly for taking the time to speak with us on the metropolitan culture corner and thanks as always to each one of you lovely people for tuning in for joining us every month as we go behind the scenes with the people who are the life's blood of barcelona's art and culture scene also thanks for all your comments and feedback via youtube via soundcloud we really love hearing from you by we i mean myself and the team at barcelona metropolitan because we love to hear what you like what you don't like what worked for you the guests that you really enjoyed the people who inspired you so feel free to reach out we're happy to hear from you always next month we turn three so please tune in to celebrate with us we have a very special guest in the meantime have a great month